without the gospel, man, can you imagine how bad this world would be? Without the gospel, God is good. God is good. All right. Today we continue our sermon series in 1 Corinthians. We'll be in 1 Corinthians 14, if you have your Bible. Today's message is titled, Doing Life Decently and Orderly. Doing Life Decently and Orderly. I'm going to tell you a little story while you're getting there. A customer comes into a pet store looking for a dog. The customer says, how much for this dog? And the owner of the pet store says, that, that'll be 5000 The customer says, is not that too much? And the owner says, is not the dog wonderful? And the customer says, yes, the dog may be too wonderful, but he is, is he faithful also? And the owner says, oh, yes, sir, he's been faithful. I've sold him seven times, and he's always come back within 12 hours. And while I was messing around with that, I found this interesting. A dog thinks in his head, my owners feed me. They love me and provide me with a nice house and take good care of me. They must be gods. While a cat thinks, my owner feeds me, loves me, provides me with a nice house, and take good care of me. I must be a god. <laughs> Cats are kind of in my, they're interesting. So are dogs. But anyway, Paul preached the gospel in Corinth in the early 50s. Uh, this was during his second missionary journey. We know opposition grew fierce there. But he spent 18 months teaching them the word of God. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20. And we'll be looking through verse 40. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Elijah, will you turn these monitors down? They are too loud. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so, falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in tongues, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints." 
Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or did the word of God come originally from you, or was it you only that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in this building knowing that we are the church, we are saved. Lord, we ask that you would use us in spite of ourselves, that you would rebuke the enemy for our sake, since we are in a spiritual battle daily. Lord, we ask that you would loose your angels round about us, that you would give us a hedge of protection. Lord, we don't even know what we need most of the time, so we just ask that you give us what we need. And so, God, as we look around, we say, Lord, we want to reach people for the kingdom. We want people saved. We want to lead them to you. So put them in our paths, God, that we may witness to them. And let us not walk away and forget that, oh, no, I should have witnessed. But, Lord, bring it to our minds as we're in the conversation. God, we just ask that you send them in from the north, the south, the east, and the west to this place to come to know you in a deeper and greater way, to be trained for the work of the ministry, and to go out and see people saved. In Jesus' name, we ask all these things. Amen. Now, I promise, I'm not going to say anything that you should flog me over today, okay? Ladies? All right. Today's life principle. Orderly churches submit to God, they become purveyors of peace, and see people saved by faith and grace. Orderly churches submit to God, become purveyors of peace, and see people saved by faith and grace. When things are done in order, people come to salvation through Jesus. Look at 1 Corinthians 14, 20. New Living Translation says this, Dear brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. Be innocent as babies when it comes to evil. But be mature in understanding matters of this kind. It is written in the scriptures, I will speak to my own people through strange languages and through lips of foreigners. But even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So you see that speaking in tongues is a sign not for believers, but unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for the benefit of believers, not unbelievers. Even so, if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church and hear everyone speaking in an unknown language, they will think you are crazy. But if all of you are prophesying and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, they will be convicted of sin and judged by what you say. As they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed and they will fall to their knees and worship God, declaring God is truly here among you. We now come to the chapter where Paul sets order in the church. You see, we've looked at the charismata, the spiritual gifts in chapter 12, and how they function and how they operate in a church. And we've looked at love and what love is about, agape versus phileo versus eros. We've looked at, at the better way, which is love. 
And now we come to order and decency in the church. Please remember that the church of Corinth was, for lack of a better term, a hot mess. <clears throat> They'd come together, and as someone was trying to teach or preach or share something in the scriptures or share a revelation that they got, they would all start speaking in tongues, and this, this was going on, going on at the same time. There was no order. This is where people would come in, and, it, and if they're anything like me, they'd say, hey, these people are nuts, and turn right around and leave. It would be the same as if, while I'm preaching right now in the middle of it, of it, please don't do this, someone stands up and speaks in tongues with no interpreter present and then sits back down. And then somebody else does it, and then everybody does it. That's not right. We get a group out on the, on the left that wants to teach something over here and then that they found interesting while everybody else is singing the songs and whatnot. Uh, loudly, and nobody's singing the same song, and then we get a group over here that wants to do their own thing, and it, it's nothing but chaos. And so when I try to bring order, what happens? Well, if I were in the Corinthian church, everybody would ignore me and get louder. Um, that kind of chaos and insubordination in spiritual matters is what was happening at this church. Please keep that in mind as we read this. In chapter 13, Paul says love is a better way. Now in 14, he shows that love is not reckless. It is not wild. It is not chaos. Love is doing things decently and in order. So now we come to chapter 14 for instruction. Paul opens up telling them not to take the things he's about to say in a heart of malice, but be like babes in their hearts when it comes to malice or evil but be a mature person when it comes to understanding what he's trying to get across here. In other words, don't take what I'm about to tell you in a bad spirit, but understand my rebuke and correction is to help you. Now put it in practice. And that's just kind of the man Paul was. Now Paul now quotes a passage from Isaiah. And this passage does two things. It confirms that God is behind true biblical tongues. And number two, the passage is a warning that people still won't listen to God. Paul's trying to say, hey, listen up. You don't want to be the person who's not putting into practice what I'm about to tell you. Don't be that guy. Don't be the stubborn mule who finds himself in a place you don't want to be because you're pig-headed and stubborn. And I see some women looking around at their husbands right now. That's not good. Because as we all know, once you become a Christian, you lose your stubborn pride, right? Never deal with it again. Yeah, yeah. If you're listening to me, you're going, huh? The rest of y'all just have to sleep because you had breakfast. But of course not. You still have to deal with pride. Paul's about to deal with two things. One, the nature of tongues. And two, the efficacy of prophecy or the effectiveness of prophecy. Tongues is not for the believer, but for the unbeliever, he says. Now, why would Paul say that? Because if we look at the book of Acts, when tongues came, Acts chapter 2, we find 120 people all speaking in unknown languages the praises of God. And everyone heard this in their own language. Now that's definitely a sign to the unbeliever, don't you think? That God's doing something here. What'd they think? They said, they must be drunk. And Peter gets up and goes, 
They ain't drunk. There ain't enough Thunderbird in all Jerusalem to get them drunk by 9 a.m. Well, it's definitely a sign to the unbeliever that God is doing something amongst his people there. We saw that in Acts 2. We know that previously Paul had stated prophecy is better because people can understand it and that tongues is a lesser gift unless it is accompanied by interpretation of tongues. Why? So that people could understand and agree and praise God with you. If there is no interpretation, which seems to be the case at Corinth, then it looks like a madhouse. And the unbelievers call them crazy, and they leave. Now for the million-dollar question. Does this kind of thing still happen in churches today? Whether it be false tongues or true biblical tongues, does this madness happen today? The answer is unequivocally yes. It's happening. Now it's happening both in true churches and fake churches where God is not lifted up, but the flesh and self are putting on proud and disturbing display. And in reality, there's nothing going on there that God is a part of. But it's happening in both true and fake churches. Prophecy is for the benefit of all, though, Paul says. Look what Paul says. Verse 24, he says, But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. We established last week to prophecy is to, pro to proclaim the word of God, and there's nothing better to proclaim than the scriptures that God has given us, the Bible. The scripture does not just contain God's words, but they are God's words. Every bit of them from, the book, from Genesis to Revelation. Not one jot, not one tittle will be done away with. It is God's word through and through. And anyone who says otherwise is either misinformed, a heretic, or a fool. And maybe some of them are a combination of all three. The other thing that could be is that someone is given a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom. Something they, 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 they get from God. Something they could not know unless it was revealed to them by God, by the Holy Spirit. And then that person walks over to another one and stands there and gives the prophecy by which their heart and life is laid bare and they repent. Is that a possibility? Yes, it is. Do we see a lot of that falsely happening? Yes, we do. However, while it's a possibility, and the scripture here does allow for that kind of thing, remember things are to be done decently and in order, you don't just go up to somebody in the parking lot and say, God told me when it could have been the breakfast you just ate and you're having heartburn. We discussed heartburn this morning a little bit. However, in practice, I've only seen somebody actually do that, actually give a prophecy properly in Scripture maybe two times in my life. And that it really be from God and not a display of some carnality. Not a display of someone just pulling stuff out of the air. We know that God's word is powerful. We know that. Isaiah 55.10 says, For as the rain comes and the snow from heaven do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. God's word truly does that. 
Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. By this we know that the written word of God, folks, is amazing. And proclamation of his word is powerful, whether it be here, out in the street, or or sharing the gospel one-on-one. His word will accomplish what he sent it to do. It's God's word that changes lives, not us. It is God's word that cuts the heart and gets right down to the matter. Not us, not carnality, not fleshliness. It's not just someone saying, yay, yay, thus say, you know but someone reading and proclaiming the pure truths of Scripture to someone, someone that people's lives and hearts are laid bare and they see themselves the way God sees them and they say, truly, I'm in need of the Savior. If you've ever prayed a prayer, here's a good one. Lord, let me see myself as you see me. Ooh, you better hope you are saved because I'm going to tell you what you're going to see you ain't going to like very well. There is none righteous, no, not one. The gift of prophecy through rightly dividing the word of truth brings someone to repentance. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Number two, Christians are to submit to God's order and be purveyors of peace. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 says, Well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When you meet together, one will sing, another will teach, another will tell some special revelation God has given. One will speak in tongues and another will interpret what is said. But everything that is done must strengthen all of you. No more than two or three should speak in tongues. They must speak one at a time, and someone must interpret what they say. But if no one is present who can interpret, they must be silent in your church meeting and speak in tongues to God privately. Let two or three people prophesy and let the others evaluate what is said. But if someone is prophesying and another person receives a revelation from the Lord, the one who is speaking must stop. In this way, all who prophesy will have a turn to speak one after the other, so that everyone will learn and be encouraged. Remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy people. Everything that is done in a worship service is to bring honor and glory to God by strengthening the church. If it doesn't do that, then it's not to be in the worship service. Does chaos strengthen the church or tear it down? Well, we know it tears it down. We know that that ain't good. Just put it another way that I've heard it said, well, that ain't good, Mr. Kramer. You're right, it ain't. Anything that happens in a church that does not bring honor, does not bring glory, does not bring awe to God is not of God. This church had so many tongue talkers, and they were talking over each other. And Paul pretty much would have ticked off a lot of people by this command concerning the gift of tongues. But he's already addressed its purpose and and meaning. 
he's already said what it's for. He's already been leaning this way. This shouldn't be a shock to them. And he says, it says he's talking to the spiritually discerning. This should cause growth and change in people by this point in the letter, not anger. So how are tongues to be used in this setting? Well, no more than two or three are to speak. And in turn, then an interpretation must be given. If there's no one to interpret the meaning, then the tongue talker should remain quiet and speak their tongues quietly between them and God. We'll find out later in the scriptures as we go through. Paul says, if I speak in tongues, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is not fruitful. And he says, if I speak in tongues, I pray between myself and God. So how was prophecy to be done? It says, let two or three prophesy and let the others judge. Now, there's some cultural issues here to work out that we're not seeing because, well, frankly, it's 2,000 years later and we live in America. So there's some cultural things. Remember that the early church was originally based on the synagogues, the Jewish synagogues. While the synagogue always had a caretaker who could teach, you might even say that they had the role of, of pastor, as it were. It, however, would be common that others in their community who were of the faith and who were learned could teach as well. And it's entirely possible and probable that that's the context here. However, there is room from someone who gets a direct revelation from God to stand up and speak a word of prophecy about someone or something which, by the way, would make people excited. And, and they would cut off the man of God who was teaching and preaching, and that's wrong. Did you know there used to be meetings? And we still have some today, but you don't hear about them a lot. There are various meetings where various pastors would show up, and they'd give like a five to ten minute talk, or at least that's what they were supposed to do, but they usually went on for about 45 minutes. Um, I never do that. Some of y'all's mouth just dropped wide open. And the other y'all's just kind of snickered like, yeah, right. Um, we used to call them good old-fashioned camp meetings. Well, that's because guess where they used to happen, these meetings? Campgrounds. <laughs> camp meetings. You, you get where that's coming from? You would stay there for a week at a time in a, in a camp. Never mind. You don't see this happen too much in modern Christianity. Why? Because the so-called pastors wouldn't dare relinquish their pulpits today. You see, in those churches, it's not about God, but about them. And yeah, I said it. Paul stops an objection here, even before it starts, if you read this. If this is a teaching from Scripture that is revealed to me by God, then I should give it right then, right? Wrong. Paul is like, settle down, Scooter, you'll get your turn. Why? Because we do things decently and orderly. That's why. 1 Corinthians verse 14, verse 31 says, In this way, all who prophesy will have a turn to speak, one after the other, so that everyone will learn and be encouraged. Remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy people. <clears throat> in other words, Remember, O oh happy-go-lucky preacher or prophet, that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. Meaning you're in control of what you do. 
how you do it, and what you say as well as how you say it. Now with that final word here, we understand that's how the church should universally be run throughout the ages. How do we know that? Because he says, as in all the meetings of God's holy people, that means everyone and everywhere throughout history, throughout time. So those that don't follow this order and this peace that, that Paul has put down, guess what? And a lot of people, are gonna, I'm going to get emails, I guarantee you. A lot of people online, believe it or not, people actually do watch our services online. I don't know if you knew that. But I'm going to get emails, you watch. The people that don't follow this order and this peace, okay? Your churches are wrong. Let me be so bold as to proclaim that if this is not how the church meetings are to be run, they are being disobedient to God and they are in sin and need to repent. Yeah, that's pretty bold, isn't it? But that's what the Word of God says. He said, repent of it. Don't do it. Let me say it again. If your church is not doing things decently and in an orderly manner with the gifts of the Spirit, if they don't listen to you, then you go find yourself a church that's not in sin in this area. Because that's what it is. It's sin. Lastly, churches are to let everything be done in an orderly manner. In other words, let it be done. Women should be silent, it says in verse 34. During the church meetings, it is not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive, just as the law says. If they have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is improper for women to speak in church meetings. Or do you think God's word originated with, the, with you Corinthians? Are you the only ones to whom it was given? If you claim to be a prophet or think you are spiritual, you should recognize that what I am saying is a command from the Lord himself. But if you do not recognize this, you yourself will not be recognized. So my dear brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and don't forbid speaking in tongues. In other words, let it happen. But be sure that everything is done properly and in order. What is this? And you know, we, we always get off on this little tangent in our culture this about women being silent in the church. What's going on? Well, this goes to spiritual authority. We know that, that women are not to be senior pastors from other places in the scripture. We know this. They're not to exercise authority over men in a teaching role or to preach from the pulpit to men with the authority of God's scripture. Being one to judge a tongue or a prophecy in this situation in an official capacity of the church would place them in that role. And so Paul says for women not to do that. That's all it means. You're not, you're not to judge that. Well, how do we know this? 1 Timothy 2.11 says women should learn quietly and submissively. I do not let women teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly. For God made Adam first and afterwards he made Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived by Satan. The woman was deceived, and sin was the result. Let me give you some excerpts from another writer that I like. And he explains this issue quickly and, and pretty succinctly. I think, I think it will help. He writes, in the church, God assigns different roles to men and women. And this is a result of the way mankind was created and the way in which sin entered the world. God, through the Apostle Paul, restricts women from serving in roles of teaching and or having spiritual authority over men. This precludes women from serving as pastors over men. 
And since pastoring definitely includes preaching, teaching publicly, and exercising spiritual authority. Many women excel in gifts of hospitality, mercy, teaching, evangelism, and helping and serving. Much of the ministry of the local church depends on women. Women in the church are not restricted from public, from public prayer or even prophesying, only from having spiritual teaching authority over men. The Bible nowhere restricts women from exercising the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Women just as much as men are called to minister to others, to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, and to proclaim the gospel to the lost. God has ordained that only men are to serve in positions of spiritual teaching authority in the church. This does not imply men are better teachers or that women are inferior or less intelligent. It's simply the way God designed the church to function. Men are to set the example in spiritual leadership in their lives and through their words. Women are to take a less authoritative role. Women are encouraged to teach each other and to teach other women. The Bible also does not restrict women from teaching children. The only activity women are restricted from is teaching or having spiritual authority over men. This bars women from serving as pastors to men. This does not make women less important by any means. Rather, it gives them a ministry focus in agreement with God's plan and gifts. Paul then tells these so-called teachers and preachers and spiritual folks of all of this stuff that he's gone over, all of these things he's gone over, to recognize his authority as an apostle. And more than that, that what he is saying is from God. And if you've ever read Paul and really soaked it in, you know, Paul, he's a very, he's a sarcastic man at times. And he's a very, um, it's, it's, it's this way or no way kind of person. And I love his candor and his attitude here. He says, if, if you're one of those and these spiritual people and then you don't recognize what I am saying, then you're wrong. And I don't recognize your authority, nor does God recognize you. In other words, if you don't recognize the scripture, then you don't belong to God and you're not saved. He clumps them in with Matthew 7, 21. He says in 721, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Paul wraps it up on that subject, and he says, be eager to prophesy, which is to proclaim God's word. And don't forbid speaking in tongues. Just make sure it's all done decently and in the proper order. Remember, God has called us to be orderly. And orderly churches submit to God. They become purveyors of peace and see people saved by faith and grace. Now, if you heard something you didn't agree with, then maybe you heard me a little incorrectly, and we need to discuss it after service. So, by all means, come speak with me if you need to. As the ladies come, let me ask you a question. 